You are listening to the Purpose Church High School Ministry Podcast. Whether this is your first episode or you've heard them all, God has something to say to you. Our vision is to see every student everywhere following Jesus, and we hope this message helps you take your next step in your faith. To learn more about our high school ministry, visit our website, purposechurch.com HSM, and check us out on Instagram at purposehsm. We hope you enjoy today's episode. How are you guys doing tonight? Are you surviving finals? Yeah, school's ending. Um, So before we start tonight, I wanted to start in a different way. I wanted to actually read some scripture. So um, it's not going to be on the screen, but if you just want to close your eyes, I'm going to read this, and then we're going to pray to jump in. This is Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As the Father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Lord, as we come into your word tonight, I pray that you would boldly use me to speak your truth and that you would minister to us that as far as the east is from the west, so far you remove our sins from us. And I pray that tonight, all of us in here who might be feeling shame from our sins, who might feel like we need to work to earn your favor, would be reminded that there's nothing that we can do to make you love us more than you already do, Lord. And so we give tonight to you in your name. Amen. So tonight is special for me because um, last week, well, not last week, I guess about, about a month ago, Christina Dway, she had um, a cool night that she put on here that was called Abide Night. And uh, me, Mike, and um, we had David Quintana speak up here. And one thing that I shared when I was up here that I heard was really encouraging for some of you, which was really cool to hear for me, was that you were encouraged by me saying that I've started, you know, I've read my Bible every day for the last almost nine years. And what's interesting is that even though that's cool, like, yeah, this is a commitment I've done, um, before that, I really didn't read my Bible. And some of you have heard me say that. But my sophomore year of high school, going into my sophomore year, I went to summer camp. That changed everything for me. I felt like I needed to really commit my life to God. And I realized, hey, like, I need to be committed to his word. And the only way I'm going to grow is if I'm doing that on my own when no one else is watching as well. 
But one of the verses that I memorized when I first came to Christ was Galatians 2.20, which is one of the verses we're looking at today. And that's where we get the title of our series. I mean, it's called I No Longer. And Galatians 2.20 says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So we're going to look through that tonight. But before we do that, I wanted to share a story. I shared this maybe, uh, I guess it was uh, over a year ago. But my car was stolen. <laughs> and um, that was kind of a crazy story how all of that happened. Um, but it was stolen somewhere around the church parking lot. And um, all of this crazy stuff happened. But my car was stolen. I didn't know how I was going to pay for another one. You know, I'm a college student. I do have savings, but I didn't want to throw it all on a new car. And there was actually a man from the church who happened to be talking to Eric one day, and he's a mechanic, and he gives cars away to people in the church, and he was talking to Eric, and he's like, hey, you know, I have this car ready. Do you know of anybody who needed it? And at the time, he thought my car situation was good, but then a day after, when he found out that it wasn't, he was like, hey, actually, I do have someone that might want this car. So the car that you see me driving is a gift. I didn't pay anything for it. And the guy just gave it to me, um, and that's such a cool thing that I have to, like, hold on to, that I was given this car. And the reason why I share that story is because I could never repay him for what he gave to me. And though, yeah, I could save up money, and I'll say, I'll, I'll give you another car. I'm like, really? He doesn't, he doesn't want another car. He wanted to bless me. And the same way I think a lot of us try and say that to God, like, no, I'll, I'll do all these things. I, I know that I owe you something. Maybe I sinned against you. I did something bad, and I know I owe you something, but don't worry, I'll make it up to you. And he's like, no, you won't. And you can't, but that's okay. So tonight we're going to look at how Paul sees this aspect of life where we can't get right with God on our own, but also kind of hear more of his story and his background. So if you want to turn with me, I'm going to be in Galatians 2, 19. Uh, yeah, 2, 19. 2.19, yes. <laughs> I was like, whoa, where is it? Um, so the end of um, verse 19, I'm reading from the message version. I usually don't, but I think this is a really, um, it paints a really clear picture of what Paul is trying to say. So the beginning of verse 19 says this. Paul says, what actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. Let's just pause right there. For those of you who have been in church for a long time, you're like, yeah, I know Paul. I know who he is. But if you haven't, maybe this is your first time coming back in a long time. Or maybe you're really not familiar or you forgot. But Paul is someone who used to be really high up in Judaism. So maybe you've learned different religions in school. Judaism um, was a religion that he was a part of. Think of like a Catholic priest. He was kind of like a priest, but he was really high up. He had a lot of prestige. And he was persecuting people who followed Jesus. Now, in his day, people who followed Jesus believed that Jesus rose from the dead. And that's why they were being killed. That's why they were being treated differently because they claimed that the resurrection actually happened. So people were like, no, it didn't. Let's shut you up and never hear from you again. And that was kind of the theme um, in, in Paul's time. But what Paul is saying here is interesting because he's saying, I tried keeping rules, working my head off to please God. Where does that come from? So whenever I think about, like, if someone's trying to work their head off to please someone, usually it's because, one, obviously that you want that person to like you, think something of you. But sometimes it's because you want to get on their good side, either because you want something from them or you've done something bad and you know there's a consequence to it. 
Like if your parent, one of your parents tells you, hey, I want you to clean your room by the time I get home. How many of us have been there and we're like, yeah, I'll clean my room, sure, you know. And then you're playing video games or watching Netflix in your pile of clothes and everything's dirty. And then you hear your mom or dad come home, the door shuts, and you're like, oh, snap. <laughs> I did not clean my room. And maybe you're like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? They're going to kill me. And so you run out and you're like, hey, mom, you look great today. Like, can I help you with something? Or, you know, you tell your dad the same thing. And it's kind of like this way of trying to work to earn their favor because you know you've done something bad. And Paul is saying, I tried to please God because he knows he's done something bad. Not just because his past was bad, but because he knows that he has sin. So where did this start from? A lot of us know this started in Genesis. But I just want to read the verse where, where this all happened. This is Genesis 3.6. It says, so when the woman, this is Eve, saw that the tree, this is the tree that God said, this is the only tree, don't eat in the garden. You can have anything else in the garden, just don't have this one tree. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Now, this is like where the fall of humanity happened. This is where the sin of the world entered. You would think that it would be more dramatic or interesting, right? You would think that, like, sin would enter the world through some kind of, like, explosion or someone did something really bad. But it entered because people ate from a tree they weren't supposed to? How does that make everyone sin? How does that cause Jesus to come and die on a cross? But what's happening in this picture is that they took the place of God. They said, God, you told me this, but no, I think this, so I'm going to do my own thing. And what happened as a result? The earth is corrupt, Genesis 6, verses 11 through 12. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Corrupt is repeated a lot, right? Corrupt, if something is corrupt, it means that its purpose was twisted, that its, its purpose is for bad and not for good, that something was tainted about it, that it's dirty in some way. So... Paul is saying in this verse, I tried keeping these rules and working my head off to please God because I'm a sinner just like them, and I know I'm corrupt. But the rules that he was trying to keep were the rules that Moses was given by God to the people of Israel. You never, I thought this was interesting as I was going through this passage. The only, the first time in the Bible where God says, do this, don't do this, well, was in Genesis, right? Don't eat of this tree, everything else, you're good. But the only other time that he gave laws and he gave, you know, Moses the Ten Commandments was, like, way, way later, when the people of Israel came out of Egypt. So only was it, like, you know, Exodus 20, you know, flip a few pages in your Bible, that those rules came into play. And those were the rules that Paul was trying to follow. Now, there were, like, over 600 rules that God gave his people to follow, but how could anybody keep those? I mean, the first law that, that, that he gave in the Ten Commandments was, you shall have no other gods before me. Well, we already broke that, right? That's what Adam and Eve did, and that's what we continue to do when we disobey God. But what's interesting is that near the end of verse 19, he says after that, so I quit being a lawman so that I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. What's interesting is that he's kind of making a transition between this old way of living and this new way of living. 
And when I think about him saying he used to be a lawman, just reminds me of my own walk with God. Um, has anybody taken an Enneagram test before? Okay. One, three, okay, <laughs> four, five. Um, so Ava and I are Enneagram type three. If any of you guys know anything about that, it's really cool. It's like a personality test. They give you numbers one through nine. And I'm a three, and I am the achiever, okay? So I like to do well in things, as do most people. But um, I'm driven by success. I'm driven by wanting other people to see me as successful and to like me. And it's really hard for me to admit my own weaknesses to myself even. Because if I admit that I have weaknesses, then I'm just like everyone else because I know everyone else has weaknesses. But if I'm just like everyone else, then I'm not really better. I'm not successful. And so it's hard for me to wrap my head around that. And so that's what I struggle with God because when I know I've done something against him... I don't always admit that because then I think, well, I have to make it up to you in some way. Like, I have to be better than someone else. Like, I have to do something so that you will think I'm okay again. But Paul says here, I quit that. I quit this trying to please God. And he says even early in verse 19, I tried to please God and it didn't work. So for me in my own walk with God, whenever I try to say, okay, I know I've sinned against you, but like, I'm going to read my Bible today. Check. Good. Like, you know, whatever. Um, I'm going to give to this person today. I'm going to do this or that. He's saying that that doesn't make you right with me. So what does make us right with God? We're going to go to Isaiah 53. This is in verse 4. Surely he, this is Jesus, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned, every one, to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know, this is written like 1,400 years before Jesus came on the scene. But it's so clear that this passage is talking about Jesus. And in this the reason why Paul says Christ's life showed me how to stop living by the rules is that Christ, his death allowed me to live by faith instead. What does that mean? If everyone in here owes someone $50, then, and we're like, okay, what, what is $50 for? Whatever you want, $50. We all owe Eric $50, right? But let's say I don't have any money in my bank account. I can't pay him the $50. But if I say, hey, Ava, like, can you pay him for me? She's like, I owe him money myself. I, I, I don't, she doesn't have any money either at this point. You know, we both don't have money. <laughs> uh, but if she, doesn't have, <laughs> I know. if she doesn't have any money, I don't have any money, I can't ask her to pay my debt for me. Well, what about Josh? What if Josh can pay my debt? Well, he already owes money himself. In the same way, every person on earth owes God a debt, and that debt is sin. And what does the Bible say sin is? It's disobeying God. And what's the punishment? Death, eternal separation from God. And we might think that's kind of crazy, but if you make the rules, you can determine the consequences. And God says that the, the wages of sin is death. The, the consequence for your sin is death. But ultimately, Someone else can't pay my sin for me that already has sin because they already owe a debt themselves. 
So who can pay my debts? Someone who doesn't have any debts. Someone who doesn't owe anyone anything. And the only person in this universe who doesn't owe anyone anything, who doesn't have any debts, who is sinless, is Jesus. And in Isaiah, he says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. There is a transaction that happens when Jesus dies on the cross. Because he's the only one who doesn't owe anyone anything. And when he says, I will be the ransom, I will pay for your sins, then our sins are now forgiven. And in the old Jewish law, they had to follow all these laws to be made right with God. They gave animal sacrifices because the consequences of sin is death, right? But God says, that's your consequence, that you die. But temporarily, before Jesus comes... We're going to have animal sacrifices, but they're ultimately going to point to a greater sacrifice that will be once for all time, and that is through Jesus. And what's interesting is I think at times we think, well, why did God create people if he knew we were going to be like this? If you just look around in the world, you see so much evil happening. There's so much racism. There's so much poverty. There's all these things that are happening, and we think, God, why would you do that? But from the beginning of time, the cross was always God's plan A for his son. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, this is Paul still writing this. He says, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Earlier in verse 19, when he says, I identified myself completely with him. I I don't follow the law anymore. I'm following Jesus. We can identify with him because we're his children. And like we were saying earlier in the song, this is 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. So let's move to verse 20 in Galatians 2. This is kind of the the middle of um, this passage. Paul says, indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion, and I am no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. This reminds me of, again, my sophomore year in high school when I went to Hume Lake. Anybody been to Hume Lake before? Okay, so um, repping my Hume Lake shirt. Um, So uh, I went to Hume Lake all throughout high school at my old church. And my sophomore year, again, was the year where I really turned to Christ, where that was like a big commitment for me. But the theme for camp that year was excusez-moi. So it was like a French theme. Um, My team actually won rec. We were the rec winners. And you get a special shirt if you win rec at Hume, which is like a big deal. There's only like 20 people who, who win. And, like, the second year I go to Hume, we won. And it was like, woo, I I didn't do anything on my team. Everyone else did well, and I I just got the benefits of what they did. Um, But the the T-shirt had all these little different kinds of mustaches on the front. So that was kind of the theme for the week. But excusez-moi, it just means excuse me, right? And I remember, like, the first night at camp, we started talking about, what does this theme mean? Oh, you know, like, excuse me, I need to put... God at the center of my life. I need to stop being selfish, stop having my ego. And I was like, I'm not a selfish person. I don't think I have an ego. Does this really apply to me? That was me. I was always questioning people and authority and everything. Um, And maybe that's some of you. You're like, why am I at camp? I don't want to be here. And that was me. Um, I really thought it didn't apply to me. 
But the more I started thinking about this passage or this, um, this theme during that week, I realized this does apply to me. Because every person is at the center of their own life until they let Christ come in. So when Paul says, my ego is no longer central, he's saying, yeah, everybody in this world has me as number one until they replace that with Jesus. And I don't have this on the screen, but the memory verses for that week, I, it just completely changed my heart. And it was 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15. And it says, for the love of Christ compels us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And that really changed my heart because at the time I, I did have an ego and I didn't want to admit it. And I think when I look at those verses more and more, I realize the death that Jesus died. It says he died for all that those who live may no longer live for themselves. And I think that's kind of the, the main idea of, of this series is I no longer, that I no longer live. And what does that look like for you? Where are you at with God? And it's okay wherever you're at, you know, in your journey. Some of you may be really distant from God. Maybe you don't want to be here. That's okay. I never went to youth group beginning of high school because I was always in sports. I didn't have any friends when I went to youth group, so I didn't want to be there. And so maybe that's some of you tonight. Maybe you love God and you just want to keep growing closer with him. Maybe you've run away and you want to come back, but you feel like there's no way I can work back to God. Like maybe you had this good streak for a while. You were really good. You, you, know, you weren't hanging out with the wrong friends. You weren't doing the wrong things. And then you had a slip up and you're like, oh, man, what do I have to do now? And the answer is believe that Jesus paid for your sins and move on. <laughs> That's the answer. That there have been times in my life this past month where I felt like, God, I'm not, I'm not the person that I want to be. There are things that I've done that I, I didn't think I would do, and I just feel like there's no way for me to work back to you. And he's saying, you're right. There isn't. And you're not supposed to, because that would take away the immense grace that I have in your life that I want to give you. Because when we start trying to please God and work our way towards him, Paul later says we're basically making void the grace of God. We're saying, God's grace doesn't mean anything for me. I'm just going to keep trying to work my way to him. And he's saying, you can't. And maybe that's you tonight. And I would just invite you that if you feel like, I've just done so much, I don't know how God can forgive me, that he looks at you in the eyes and he says, I know you can't repay me because you owe a debt, but there's someone standing next to me who's at my right hand, who has already paid for your debts. And he forgives you and he loves you. And when you believe in him and believe that he died for your sins and that he didn't stay in the grave, that he rose again, then you're forgiven and you can move on and you can have freedom. So let's finish up. In uh, the end of verse 20, Paul says, the life you see me living, so this new life now where Christ lives in me, it's not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am not going back on that. Verse 21 is where we'll finish. Is it not clear to you that to go back to that old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free? 
in my relationship with God, I refuse to do that, to repudiate God's grace, basically to say that God's grace means nothing. If a living relationship with God could come by rule-keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. Where I want to close tonight is really with this, that at the end of the day, nothing will matter except what God says in his word. And what I learned from that year at camp was that I need to know what he says because if you're just walking through life, trying to figure it out on your own, if you say, yeah, I pray, I don't read the Bible, but I pray, that's good enough, then you're never going to learn. You're never going to know what God says he wants you to do. Everyone asks at your age, and even my age, I'm in college, what's my purpose for life? I need to find my purpose. People say, God has a wonderful purpose and plan for your life. And you're like, oh, I need to find it out. Like, God, is it going to be this? Am I going to get married here? Am I going to do this? It's like, no, the purpose for your life is that you know his son, Jesus. In that verse, 1 Thessalonians, God has not destined us for wrath. He's not destined us to be separated from him forever, but to obtain salvation through his son. So if you're in here tonight, maybe you're struggling with putting God at the center of your life. I would just encourage you, you're not alone. And just because you're struggling with that doesn't mean that God doesn't love you or care about you or that you're not as much of a Christian as you should be. When I was in high school growing up, I never thought I would be that Christian. You know, the Christians maybe who come up here and speak, who read their Bible all the time, who are like the pastors. I thought I'd never have faith like that. But what does it mean to have faith like that? What am I really saying when I say that? One, I'm making an excuse for myself because I'm not letting God's grace come into my life. I'm saying, no, I have to be good enough to earn your favor. And God's saying, no, 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 you don't understand the cross if you're trying to earn my favor because I've already given it to you if you believe in my son. But maybe some of you are in here and you want to make God the center of your life. Maybe you haven't, but he's welcoming you tonight. And so the last verse I want to read is just kind of a closing blessing. And it's 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 through 17. It says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for sending your son to die for me, for us. I pray that we would not make void your grace, that we would not try and work to please you, but understand we can't do anything to please you because you are already pleased with us. And all we have to do to, to receive your grace, to receive an eternal relationship with you is believe in your son, that you have not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation, Lord, through your son. And so I pray tonight, if there's anybody in here who wants to receive you, that you would open their heart and that you would show them what a life with you in the center looks like. And I pray that you would guide us tonight, guide our conversations, and let us process through what your grace looks like in our lives. In your name, amen.